When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. BJ Howe's Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast with Steve Allen and Michael Butner on SEN Track. Yeah, good morning. We're back at Shelley Beach Golf Course overlooking the 18th and pumped for the weekend. It's the All-Star Weekend. We had some cricket last night. Scotty James has won a medal at the Winter Olympic Games. What an incredible half-pipe that was. No buttes this morning. He's up on the mid-north coast, I think, at Coffs Harbour for an Oztag tournament. Alongside us, the guru... Gary Birkinshaw, good morning, mate. Good morning, Steve. Great to be back, and what a great place to be here, Shelley Beach Golf Club. And uh, look, it's certainly been a big week in sport. And you mentioned Scotty James and that half pipe. How good a viewing was that? Yeah, we'll talk more about that. I, I reckon it's possibly one of the greatest events I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, in terms of scores, it certainly was. Uh, we saw Sean White, his final Olympic Games in tears, the man that paved the way. Uh, also with us, Pete the Technician. Uh, Pete, I just did a pre-recorded segment for our Facebook page, and the flag is flying at half-mast with the loss of Johnny Raper, also Olsen Filipina, who was a real hero when I was growing up, and also locally, uh, an Erin legend, Bruce Fitzpatrick, who was a four-time Sterling medal winner. We'll discuss that in a few moments with Tony Clark because that's unprecedented. But Pete, you saw the great Johnny Raper. Tell us more. Steve, as a very small boy, and I must emphasize very small boy, but he was a god. Even back in, in those days with almost no publicity off the field, I mean, minimal newspaper coverage and things like that, Chook stood out. Chook was it, you know, and uh, it was, they won, they lost, but how did Raper play and, and things like that. It was really quite, it was quite extraordinary. I remember, I think his last game was, this, they lost to Manly in 1969 uh, in the first semi-final, and then we went up and played up in Newcastle, I think it was after that, but he was, he was it. You know, kids in the playground, kids were raper. You know, like, I mean, like, back front yard cricket, I'm going to be Lily, you're going to be whoever. And Chook was just, he was huge. He, and then one, probably one of the first players that was then larger than life after the career finished. He didn't just retire and disappear. He had, he was, I mean, obviously there's the, the Jack's Tires ads, which were very well known as well. But he was just he was huge. He was like an, an identity. Yeah, you said 69. That's the year Balmain win. Absolutely. Yeah, and you were there? I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, mate. My first grand final. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, Tony Clark's been waiting on the line. Uh, good morning, the man we like to call the benchmark. Multiple premiership winning coach locally. TC, good morning. I, I dare say Johnny Raper was maybe just before your time. Yeah, good morning, Steve. Yes, I uh, a little bit before my time, but um, I've certainly, uh, you know, uh, read uh, all about him. And, of course, um, yeah, just uh, as Pete just said, just an icon of the game. And, uh, um, you know, our condolences to the Raper family. 
Yeah, I think the late, great Frank Hyde. Uh, you know, my dad used to tell me about Frank Hyde in commentary. And at one stage, I think Frank Hyde said Johnny Raper played the perfect 80 minutes of football. It was against the English, and it was a demolition. Uh, so we've lost another of our immortals, TC. And so, as I said, the flag flying at half-mast. What about Olsen Filipina, who we all would have seen and I absolutely loved. And when he pulled on that Kiwi jumper, he was just absolutely incredible. In fact, man of the match against the Australians on numerous occasions. Yeah, definitely. I think Benny Elias uh, hit the nail on the head when he just said he was just a completely different man when he... Uh, uh, pulled on that black and white jersey, uh, you know, of the Kiwi Stuvo, and uh, and of course was, uh, was was just so fun to watch, wasn't he? With a you know the, the great era of the Balmain Tigers, and uh, yeah, it, uh, it was because he was far too young to. Um, I think he was only in his late 60s, wasn't he, Olsen? So yeah, he uh, uh, certainly a loss, um, of course, to his family, but to the game. <coughs> Yeah, just 64, and it's far too young. And you kind of forget these heroes that you had when you were growing up. They're only like a decade older than you are. So such a sad loss. And, you know, he ended up playing 77 games for Balmain, but he finished at the North Sydney Bears, TC. Yeah, he did. Uh, certainly, we spoke about that during the week, actually. And uh, he, had, he had a couple of great years there with the Bears. And uh, as I said, everyone that uh, played with him, of course, I didn't know him personally, but uh, I know the respect around the joint for him. And um, uh, the Bears are, uh, you know, have uh, certainly um, um, you know, offered their condolences where, uh, to the family. And uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be a little speech today because we're, uh, we're heading to Leichhardt Oval, as we speak, Stu. So... Norths and Balmain playing um, in the junior reps has a nice synergy to, to honour Olsen. Yeah, TC, look, I think Olsen, to me, was one of those players who really struggled with the week-to-week grind of, of NRL football and, you know, ended up playing a lot of reserve-grade football, you know, probably criticised a lot because of probably his, his lack of probably physical condition to do the NRL. But every time he pulled <laughs> on the Kiwi jumper, he was a different person. And, and I know if you're a supporter of, of Balmain or North Sydney, then you, you, you'd just be tearing your hair out. Because here he is tearing up the, the Aussies, and yet he'd be back in playing reserve grade the next week at club level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a couple of great stories about that. I, I think it was Warren Ryan's book, and uh, I, I won't quote it, but... Uh, yeah, no, there was certainly um, he was an enigma. I think was um, I think he, he frustrated a few coaches, but uh, yeah, certainly entertained uh, a lot of people, guys. So these are on the coast here, uh, SEN track. Uh, we seem to have lost the line down there, so we'll try and get the guys back. They'll be with you very shortly at uh, Shelley Beach Golf Course. But uh, we've got Tony Clark with us, and uh, Tony, obviously the uh, the. Great uh, analysis on Johnny Raper, you know, obviously. Can't believe that's, uh, I think, the last of the Immortals uh, to go. Have you got any final comments on that before we get to uh, the season starting, of course, uh, tonight? Is that for me, Adam? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very hard to hear. Uh, yeah, no, very exciting tonight with the, uh, with the All-Stars game. And um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it's terrific to... Uh, to see the NRL kicking off, the uh, uh, great interest in um, in Latrell Mitchell's uh, younger brother, young was well known on the yeah. No worries. Yes, no worries. Uh, definitely. Yeah, well, no. we're going to head back out now to the uh, the guys at uh, Shelley Beach Golf Course and uh, take it away, Steve and Gary Birkinshaw. Yeah, nice job. Uh, TC, you're still there, mate, because we want to talk about Bruce Fitzpatrick. And I just said to the guru, Gary Birkinshaw, to win four Sterling medals. I mean, must have been a, an unbelievable player, Bruce Fitzpatrick, in the 1970s. 
Uh, he certainly was. Bruce is, you know, legendary figure of the uh, of the era in a club and uh, just a great man. You know, a great. He was great on the field, but he was a, a better man off it. You know, and uh, no, very very sad passing um, of Bruce. Uh, you know, he led them to the the promised land in 1977. Um, he was the captain of their first ever premiership winning team and uh, with a with a late great Bruce Montgomery um, uh, who, uh, who who was their coach and uh, yeah you know, very sad he was a, he was a, a just a gentleman and uh, and to win four sterling medals which is as you know Steve you know the, the equivalent of the Dally M's on the coast is is unprecedented and uh, um, you know again I, I pass all my uh, you know thoughts and prayers to uh, the Fitzpatrick family they're uh, they're a champion uh, champion a lot of people. Yeah, and TC, when you go through the Sterling medal winners through that period, we've got some players that went straight to the NRL, won premierships at NRL level. Uh, you know, some of the greats of the game played through that 70s and early 80s period here on the Central Coast. Oh, yeah, it was, you know, you do you do look, as we said during the week, Steve, you know, it was the halcyon days of, of Central Coast Rugby League and uh, and, and Bruce was the, the forefront, you know, and, and, he, and he never... He, he retired, of course, from the playing, but but I think spent over 20 years, you know, on the board of directors of the club. He coached at the club. Uh, one of my one of my big well, you know, one of the regrets is that I never in 1984 Bruce uh, tried very hard to get me to Erina, but I, uh, I, I I said no at the last minute, and uh, and we still joke about it now. But uh, well, you know, when I when I last saw him, and uh, um, yeah, he uh, he certainly put uh, he he got Erina to you know was instrumental in in the league clubs. Uh, beginning and um, yeah, so a, a huge loss for the club. TC, for those who, who don't know a lot about Bruce, could you just give fill us in a little bit on what top, type of player he was? Yeah, well, back back in those days, it was a, it was a different game, guys. Back in the seventies and, uh, and early eighties, where where your front rowers there was no prisoners taken. Um, I'll be honest, I I, I, uh, I, I didn't, I, I don't think he, he would have been sent off in his career, Bruce. He was uh, he was a no nonsense player, but he could. Uh, he certainly did uh, did everything uh, legally and had um, had uh, uh, for a big man had uh, a wonderful slide of hand with his uh, with his passing game. You know he uh, he certainly um, yeah he, he he was basically the complete package. If you had uh, if you had Bruce uh, Brucey Fitzpatrick now he'd be worth a million dollars because he uh, he was uh, just a, a, a standout uh, player. Yeah, I noticed too that he spent some time at North Sydney. And he was in a forward pack that was coached by Noel Ned Kelly. Yeah, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there you go. He, uh, <laughs> as I said, he was, he was a super talented player. And, uh, yeah. Hey, when do we ever stump TC? Uh, that's incredible. Uh, TC, <laughs> after today's show, I'm heading off to the, uh, the All-Star Game, which is being held at uh, the new uh, Combank Stadium, the old Bank West. Uh, great venue for the All-Stars. But in today's paper, they've named the top ten Indigenous players of all time. Let me quickly run through these because I want to get your thoughts, TC. Nathan Blacklock at 10, Sammy Thiday at number 9, Steve Renniff, the Pearl, at number 8, Cliffy Lyons, I don't know how he comes in at number 7, the Magician, the Wizard, uh, Gordon Tallis at number 6, number 5, Eric Sims, what a player for South Sydney. GI, Greg Inglis at number 4. Now the top 3, Laurie Daly, Jonathan Thurston at number 2, no surprise for number 1, the late, great Arthur Beetson. Greatest front row we've ever seen. What are your thoughts, TC? Is there anyone missing? Oh, I, I don't. Yeah, you, you, again, um, you, you've got me a little bit. Of that. <laughs> I, 
I'm just, I'm just trying to get over Glacial Bridge. So, um, but what a, what a, what an honour roll that is. I mean, you can't argue with the top three. But gee, I thought Cliffy would be, uh, he'd be number four. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's certainly a great celebration, um, you know, for rugby league tonight. And of course, Steve, had a really, uh, really exciting um, night for. Uh, I, I spoke to him during the week. Shaq Mitchell, Latrell Mitchell's younger brother, um, had the five years with us at uh, at the Wyong Roos and. Uh, it's just, um, you know, we're all so excited for him, uh, you know, to be involved in such a, a big night tonight. So I wish him, uh, you know, Shaq all the, all the very best. So, Steve, you admit that. No Anthony Mundine? Yeah, I, I thought about that when I came in. And, uh, you know, there'll be some people that say the chalk should be there. But let's ask TC, the expert. What do you think, TC? No, 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 no. He's not in the top ten. Chalk, probably for talking, but not, uh, <laughs> not for talking. Chalk for the It'd be hard. To, it'd be hard to argue, but uh, I'll certainly, I'll certainly do some homework on that during the week, Stovo, and um, and I'll, I'll get back to you. Well, I've said on this show before, like uh, some of the listeners, they love my stories from the 1980s, but there was an Indigenous player at the Tugan Seahawks when I was growing up. His name was Brad Garrett, and he played a little bit of grade footy, I think, at Parramatta, but. He was unbelievable. And every Sunday Arvo at Chugan Footy Club, right near the Coolangatta Airport, uh, it was a packed house to see Brad Garrett weave his magic at 5'8". Yeah, he, what was, about you? he was a very talented player. I remember, remember him playing at, uh, at Parramatta. The number of Indigenous players would be running around in country football, just, you know, when you go to a, to a local game and there's always an Indigenous player running around, they just light the field up. Don't quite get the... the I suppose the opportunity to go to Sydney or, or uproot and, and the, the big difference it is to move to the city, but yeah, they're fantastic to watch. Yeah, and we see that time and time again in the AFL, players that you think, wow, you know, they could make it at the highest level, but for whatever reason, they stay and play locally. TC, uh, great to talk to you, mate. So you said you're off to the footy right now? Yeah, we just uh, exactly got, we're playing uh, Belmain at uh, Leichhardt Oval, uh, Harold Matthews, which is the 17s, they kick off at 10. Um, we're 11.30, Stuvo, so, uh, yeah, great day. Three games, Tasha Gale's on also, so uh, it's uh, three great games of footy, and hopefully we can uh, come away with a victory. Yeah, actually, my son Corey's heading for that neck of the woods. He plays in the Sydney Super League bronze medal game against Ramoyne, but that's at Dawn Fraser Baths in the heart of Balmain Territory, so uh, one of the harbour pools. So good luck to the Hunter Hurricanes against Ramoyne later on today. TC, pleasure to have you on, mate. Any final words, because I know... I know that you've probably got something for us on this Saturday morning. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think, uh, I think you got me again. But, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, what about the race day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Danica's race day. The, the tickets, there's still only a couple left, but uh, really looking forward to that next weekend. And um, uh, get onto Danica's website and see whether you can snag a ticket because it'll be the, the day of the year at uh, Gosford Race Club. Uh, what about that, Burko? Three times we've thrown TC under the bus. Uh, mate, thanks so much for coming on. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, don't worry. I've got a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Clark, our first guest. Uh, we'll go to a break here. We're hoping to get Nick Montgomery, head coach of the Central Coast Mariners. I know they went down in the FFA Cup, uh, a 2-1 against Melbourne victory, but I was lucky enough to commentate on Wednesday night. Uh, what a thr- Thursday night, actually. What a thriller against uh, MacArthur. Six-goal thriller. We saw two of the greatest goals of all time in the A-League. Yeah, look, there were the two penalties as well during the game, but those two goals, and 
you know, when you concede in the 90 minutes, the goal by Craig Noon was just phenomenal. It is just out of this world. Yeah, we'll play that audio in a few moments' time because Adam Kwasnick has called it the greatest goal he's ever seen in the A-League, which is a huge statement. But, uh, wow, you know, what a finish. And by that stage, the Mariners had come from 2-0 down to lead 3-2. And then the Craig Noon wonder strike. You know, it should be played all around the world. Just an unbelievable finish. Off to a break. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, back live at Shelley Beach Golf Course overlooking the 18th and a group of four on their way uh, putting right now. A little stormy at the moment. And Burko, you normally play on a Saturday morning, but down the south end of the coast? Yeah, that's right. Normally have a hit uh, Saturday morning down at Gosford. And uh, just looking out here now, yeah, it does look a bit uh, overcast, a bit stormy. Gee, the wind's picking up. Shelley Beach in the wind. It's a tough course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your best score here, by the way? My best score here, uh, I'd be, be around 90. Yeah. It's, uh, I love playing here, but uh, yeah, I'm not the best golfer going around. Yeah, gorgeous course. And we thank the golf course uh, for their hospitality. Uh, one of our favourite places to come on a Saturday morning. Hey, uh, you saw the six-goal thriller on Thursday night? Yeah, look, how good was that? That was just one of the matches of the season was described by good commentary as well. And uh, yeah, to have the two penalties and come from 2-0 down and then, then get in front. And we had the Tommy Orr spectacular goal at the beginning. Everyone, <coughs> everyone expected they'd be talking about that, but then... You know, the 90th minute, Craig Noon's goal that levelled it all up at 3 all was just phenomenal. It was out of this world. Yeah, we're about to go to Nick Montgomery, but first let's roll in some of the commentary from Thursday night. I was privileged to call the match with uh, Adam Kwasnick. I think we pick it up from the Mariners' first penalty taken by Oli Bazanic. Here we go. Curdo up against Oli Bazanic, club captain, who's been in stellar form, scored in his last couple of matches. Here we go. Here's the whistle. Oli Bazani! Yeah! What a, what a game we're going to have here. Clinical penalty. He goes to the right-hand side. Set the keeper the wrong way. Curdo went to his right. Here goes Maresh. One-on-one with Curdo. Stand by the Brazilian. Here he comes on the run-up. Maresh! Yes! Goal! Buries it. Mariners lead 3-2. Well, it went to Philip Curdo's left. He made no mistake. Maresh's first goal of the season for the Central Coast Mariners. Oh! Oh, my goodness! What was that? Oh, Craig Noon. That is one of the goals of the millennium. Incredible. Can, Can you believe it? What a goal here in Gosford. We are level again at three all. That is that is magnificent. That is gobsmacking. And it silenced the 2,732 fans here in Central Coast Stadium. <laughs> oh, there we go. Adam Kwasnick, one of the Mariners' greatest of all time, who actually uh, walked out with a trophy at the FFA Cup down in Melbourne last weekend. Uh, alongside me in commentary... Wow, they're the games you love to call. Uh, so much drama, and I'm not sure how Nick Montgomery survived it on the sideline when we went up 3-2, thought we are going to bank the three points, and then suddenly one of the greatest goals we've seen in the A-League. Nick, good morning, mate. Thank you for your time. And, uh, wow, I mean, have you recovered from that? Because you're back in business tomorrow. Morning, guys. Yeah, look, what a, obviously, for the neutral, a fantastic game, but for, for us and myself, disappointed. To lose two points, you know, it felt like a defeat after the game because it's a game that we dominated uh, throughout um, throughout the contest. But unfortunately, 
two world-class goals from Tommy Orr and Craig Noon. So, yeah, hopefully uh, that pattern's finished because we had, um, obviously, the final two two world-class goals, the free-kick and the Conor Media strike, and then we've had another two the other night. So, normally, they don't come that often. But, yeah, for us, that's, uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, be, be the ones scoring them in the next couple of games because, yeah, this, this, like I said, disappointed not, not to get the three points, which we thoroughly deserve, but... You got to take your hats off sometimes, and, and yeah, Craig Noon striker, 90th minute. That's that's a world-class goal in, in any league and in, in, in any part of the world. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you had a chance to go four-two up. There was a moment where, wow, what a cameo from Nikolai Muller. As soon as he came on, he pulled the trigger and hit the woodwork, and it instead of bouncing down and into the goal, it's bounced back out. It was just a thunderbolt, but then really late in the match, I think he had an opportunity where he pulled the trigger himself, but I think Benny Encololo is unmarked at the back stick. So there's an opportunity to go 4-2 up, and that's how the pendulum swings. Yeah, look, that's football. You know, Nico's, Nico's a fantastic player. You know, he had a really tough time pre-season. He had a bad hamstring injury and then got himself back fit and got COVID. So um, hopefully he's over them issues now. And, and I think he showed the other night, you know, he's a fantastic attacking player. Yes, he needs game time and, and he needs to get fully fit. But, I mean, look, the game the game should have been wrapped up for probably possibly 5-2 um, by that point. But, look, if you don't take your chances, and, and that's the difference. Nico hits that one from 30 metres and it hits a crossfire and it flat goes in. It's, 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 it's a top-class goal. The other end, Craig Noon hits one, the outside of his foot that will never hit one ever, probably ever again in his career and it ends up in the back of the net, so... That's a fine margin in football. It's always a, an inch, a centimetre difference and, and Nico's goal would have been in and the game would have been, I think the game would have been wrapped up way before the 90th minute. It's funny you say that because in commentary I did say to Adam Kwasnick that nine times out of ten, that shot from Craig Noon or Tommy Orr, it ends up in the giant sauce bottle or in Brisbane water. Like the <laughs> amount of times that you would try that and it doesn't come off. Uh, alongside me, Nick, is Gary the Guru Birkenshaw filling in for Michael Butner and the Guru has the next question. Yeah, g'day, Nick. Uh, uh, obviously, the last Saturday, they went down to Melbourne and, and took on uh, the victory in the FA, FFA Cup uh, final. And, uh, look, unfortunately, we uh, we didn't get the victory, but uh, certainly a good campaign in that competition. Ah, oh, fantastic. Again, so proud of the players. And, and, look, 700 teams start that competition to get to the final two. And, look, I don't think, you know, I can tell you guys on the phone, leading up to that game, it was everything was against us. You know, it seemed that, Melbourne Beach, you get the home game. I think everybody uh, was suspicious of that. Um, you know, it should have been on the central course. We put a great application in. You know, having home advantage in a, in, in a final is, is massive. And you only have to listen to the victory players after the game saying, you know, the 15,000 home fans for them was like the 12th man. And yeah, I mean, look, you know, they intimidate the referee. They intimidate, you know, the, the, the players. And, and yeah, look, the ref gave some, you know, gave some crazy calls. We should have had a penalty on Farrell. You know, that, that seemed to disappear after the game. No one talks about it because, you know, it's one of the big teams and every, everything's geared towards them being successful. So, you know, disappointed to lose that game. Again, you know, we uh, we had a game plan to frustrate victory. They've got a massive squad, massive budget, probably four or five times what we have. And, and I thought for 70 minutes, you know, we were we were defended outstanding. And it was only a matter of time before, you know, the game opened up and chances both ends. Unfortunately, that was a you know, sloppy free kick from us on the edge of the box and, Possibly, uh, you know, we could have done better with a free kick. But from that moment on, yeah, look, the game opened up and, and uh, yeah, another world-class strike from Economides. Um, and, and after that, we got one goal back, but unfortunately uh, ran out of, uh, of injury time. Um, and, yeah, I don't know where the ref only got six minutes from. It should have been a lot longer injury time. But, yeah, look, in terms of the campaign, super proud of the club and the players. 
you know, for the young players, for them, it was an amazing experience and one that will definitely benefit them in their careers moving forward. So now it's on to the league and, yeah, you know, it's a fantastic uh, cup campaign. You mentioned Jacob Farrell. I thought on Thursday night he was absolutely outstanding. What a motor the young man has got. Uh, my question is, who got player's player for the Central Coast Mariners on Thursday night? Because I thought Farrell was just superb. Yeah, look, Farrell has been outstanding all season. Talk about consistency of a young player. You know, not a lot of times the biggest consistency in young players is inconsistency, but, you know, you do get... Uh, uh, rare players like Jake who you know consistency you know, at 19 years old in his first season I think that's it's testament to him because that's possibly the hardest thing as a young player but look at on the ball I don't think Faz had his best game the other night but I always say you know if you don't have the best game on the ball you can never have a bad game off the ball and he's he's a testament to that because he was outstanding defensively he's just solid you know but unfortunately he got his fifth yellow card that means he's suspended uh, for tomorrow night. So, look, probably deserves a rest. He needs a rest mentally and physically. Um, and, yeah, that will freshen him up. So, yeah, look, the boys were, the boys were very good the other night against a MacArthur team with a huge budget. Um, you know, probably four or five times what our budget is again. And I thought we dominated them. And it took them three three uh, set pieces, second phase and two world-class goals to, to keep in the game. So, we've got to take a lot of heart from that and a lot of positives. And, and yeah, we go into tomorrow's night's game full of confidence. Starting to get the wind-up from our producer, but uh, City wins against Newcastle this week, a win last night against the Wanderers, fairly clinical against the Wanderers last night. Uh, And then tomorrow, as you said, up against Perth Glory. What are your thoughts about that clash tomorrow afternoon? Yeah, look, you talk about City there. They're the benchmark team in the competition. They've got a, a massive squad. They've got some big, big players on, <laughs> again, on big salaries. And in, in the moments in games like the Wanderers game last night, you know that... You know, them players, McLarens and the Boos and, and Leckies, you know, they can be the difference in a game that's that's tight. And, you know, the opposition actually probably played better than them at the start. But, look, that's football. You've got to take your opportunities and have that killer instinct. And, yeah, um, you know, fair play to them. And, and no doubt they'll be uh, uh, the benchmark again this year for everybody. Um, but, look, for us tomorrow night, Perth, uh, you know, they've got some good players again. Uh, they've got some, uh, you know, some marquee players in four in a row. They Sturridge. Um, and look, they've had a, obviously a tough period as well with uh, with COVID and, and obviously travelling away from from Perth. But yeah, look, they'll be they've got some dangerous players, and we'll, we'll give them full respect tomorrow night. But it's our home game again, and we'll go out to win the game. So really looking forward to that battle tomorrow night. Yeah, Nick, uh, thank you so much for your time. A pleasure to have you on the show as always, and good luck tomorrow against uh, Perth. And thank you so much to your team for the entertainment on Thursday night. Uh, look forward to catching up soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Nick Montgomery, head coach with the Central Coast Mariners. And, Burko, that was, like he said, for a neutral, that was just incredible Thursday night. Yeah, look, I can totally understand where he comes from. They said For us people watching, it was a fantastic game. For him, it's a lost two points. And when the competition is so tight, you just can't afford to be dropping those, those you know, valuable points. Yeah, I think behind closed doors, he'll be talking a lot about set pieces because you know, uh, the first goal comes from a set piece. Uh, then the second goal, right on the six-yard box, Mariapa buries one. Uh, you know, a little bit of a scramble in the box, but I think he'd want to rectify those set pieces. And, of course, their first goal against Melbourne Victory in the FFA Cup also from a set piece. So I think they'll be working fairly hard at that behind closed doors. But let's not forget, they've got games in hand. So hopefully they can get the league campaign uh, back on track. It's hard to follow at the moment because uh, Mariners have played eight games. There's teams that have played 11.
Yeah, and you're right there. It's, just, it's very, very hard to follow. Like, I'm not a, a full-on you know, football fan, but just to try and work out where everyone is, it's so difficult. They have a, had a big break of games, and now all of a sudden they're all, they're all banked up together. It must be very hard for Nick and his, his coaching staff to actually to keep the players motivated and not only that, keep them fresh now to actually for, for a campaign ahead. Yeah, I can hear down the line, uh, we're running late for the news. We've got to get to the news. Otherwise, Adam Staples, he's going to pull out, the, he's going to pull out something and uh, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. We'll talk some surfing. North Shelley Board Riders, the best board riding club in Australia after last weekend's heroics in Newcastle. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, welcome back live at Shelley Beach Golf Course. Hope you're enjoying the weekend so far. There's some surf boats on this weekend. Uh, McMaster's Beach, so the Central Coast and Hunter Surf Boat Series. Round six is underway for under-19s through to Masters category. And then following round six, both branches, Central Coast and Hunter, will also hold their branch championships. So uh, I believe it's at max, depending on how big the surf is. So there's a plan B there, but good luck to all the boaties. We've got some of the best boat crews in Australia in both the Central Coast and Hunter branches. Uh, I'll tell you what we have got. We've got the best board riding club in Australia just a couple of minutes from here at North Shelley Beach. And one of their members, in fact, one of the commentators last weekend, she just did an absolutely stellar job. Jess Grimwood, good morning. Uh, good morning, Steve and Gary. Thank you, Steve. You're always so nice, so complimentary. <laughs> oh, you were just superb. Uh, congratulations. In fact, we're giving you a standing O. Uh, last week, you were... You were on the beach as a commentator. You were in the box alongside the team, and well done. Uh, just possibly the best I've ever seen you in action. Would you agree? Ooh, um, I'm not sure about that. I feel like <laughs> some of my best work is done as the third wheel for you guys on there, but I'm sorry to have blown you off and gone with the surfing third wheel last week. <laughs> uh, let's recap what happened last week. So... We could go straight to the final, but first tell us about this format. So how many rounds did North Shelley have to get through to finally surf in the Australian Board Riders Battle Final? Well, pretty much we've been doing it for the whole time it's been running, so um, almost a decade now. And there's regional qualifiers that happen throughout the year, the year before. So last year we surfed in our regional qualifier, but we actually lost and we didn't um, qualify for the national final. Um, but because we often win the Club Spirit Award, we were given a wild card into the national final along with a couple of other teams. And, yeah, pretty much as it started from there, we, we surfed um, the early rounds on the Saturday. We got seeded because we finished pretty well, got seeded into the advanced rounds and got to stick around for the Sunday. And then it was just go from there. And, I mean, we've been bridesmaids. We've come second a few times and it's been heartbreak when we've lost and... So um, it was really nerve-wracking for me, especially. I didn't want to jinx us on the commentary, and I just was just so nervous if we could actually pull it off this time. And so was the rest of the club. And, yeah, we just got towards that quarterfinal, the semifinal, we looked good. And then for the final, we just... We were pretty much... Yeah, we were, we were hard to, to catch, and nobody wanted to count our chickens until it actually... The buzzard went off and they announced it, so... It was a pretty wild time. It was pretty exciting. 
Yeah, Jess can probably elaborate on this, but there has been heartbreak previously where you've got to get, every surfer's got to get a wave within the allotted time. And the clock mm. is ticking. And North Shelley, Jess, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've had chances to win, but your last surfer hasn't made it across the line in that one-hour period. We actually saw that on the weekend where virtually every club failed to finish, except North Shelley, who were miles in front. Yeah, it's so hard, that format. It really, really pushes the team because you've got the five surfers and you've got about an hour. So it's a it's a beach start, which puts in a bit more um, skills in, um, for the team to be able to pull it off because you've just got to kind of use about eight minutes after. The surf's always massive at Nui. And, yeah, last year or the year before, um, we had a team that finished literally with a fingernail over the line to beat us at the final um, that was a couple of years ago. And, yeah, if if you can't make it back in, regardless of your score, then you're deducted five points and you pretty much lose because it's, it's that close usually as it gets down to the final. So, yeah, we just we have a really good strategy. The team know what they're doing. Our manager and our um, club president, Camo Sharp, like he's just really calm and he's really across it and he believes in the team a lot. So that helped them. They knew what they were doing. They got in with plenty of time. I'll tell you what, Guru, it is great theatre. It was so enjoyable to watch. And uh, this team from North Shelley, I'll get Jess to elaborate on this team. So it starts with teenagers, but then it goes to a, a female surfer who just smashed it last weekend. And then you've got a couple of club legends. So there's Shane Holmes, who went first. And it took him a while to get his first way. But when he did, it was well worth the wait. And he just smashed it. But then you've got another probably one of the greatest surfers I've ever seen that hasn't been on the world tour, and that's a guy called Russ Maloney. If you see him at North Shelley on any good day, he is so incredibly stylish, uh, you know, really radical, and just so humble as well. So uh, what a team, Jess, and tell us more about them. Yeah, they literally are. They're really good, um, mostly like an underdog team. We're always called the underdog team because we don't really have anybody apart from Macy who's been on the world tour, whereas the other teams always call in their big guns that have come pretty much off the world tour. So um, we're kind of like, I like to think of us as a bit of a people's choice. Like um, our team's pretty well respected from like the local area and from around Oz. But yeah, Russ, I mean, he's like multiple indigenous title holder. He's won heaps of events he's right up there with the top two of surfers he's just um you know decided to stay at home and he's a family man here he's got a couple of kids and a and a partner here and we've got i mean little huey vaughan he's our junior so he's like being touted as one of the next you know potential tour surfers and he just absolutely lives for the australian board riders kind of vibe he just frosts on it he was getting so excited about having all that pressure on him to have to pull it through for the team and his bigger brother Joel surfs for us too on the team and he's kind of that really um, reliable, stable, um, open men surfer. And then we've got, yeah, Shane Holmes, the hammer, who's pretty much a given for any board rider's battle. <laughs> he's a big power surfer. They call him the hammer because he throws down those big forehand hacks and, you know, he's not afraid to take it to the bigger surfs that we always seem to get for board riders' battles. Um, and then, yeah, Macy, Macy Callahan is like, She's been around the coast for so long. We've had her in the club for a long time. Her dad was one of the original founding members. And, yeah, she's just incredible surfer under pressure. She actually really, really put us in front in that final. She scored, like, a high seven on her attempt where we saw, like, a lot of the other girls for the clubs kind of 
get around that four to five point mark. So she really put us out ahead for North hey, Valley. Uh, Jess, can you stay with us for one more break this morning? Uh, we're getting the wind-up at the moment from uh, headquarters to go to a break. I uh, want to talk to you, of course, about Pipeline. Uh, Molly Picklam did a fantastic job, but what about Kelly Slater? Uh, the greatest of all time, a couple of days shy of his 50th birthday. Would love to talk about the finish of Pipeline in a few moments' time. Absolutely. Yeah. Jess Grimwood joining us, uh, surfing expert and commentator and sometimes third wheel on this show. It's Saturdays on the Coast, all thanks to BJ Howes and also Robson Civil Projects, Whitey's Right Price Tyres on SEN. BJ Howes Metal Land, the Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Welcome back. We're live at Shelley Beach overlooking the gorgeous 18th green. Gee, the course just looks stunning at the moment. A little stormy, uh, howling winds as well, so difficult to play, but uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous golf course, and thanks again to Shelley Beach. We're about to go back live to Jess Grimwood, but uh, with the boys here, I just want to throw it out there. The greatest sports people of all time. I mean, Kelly Slater has got to be hard to beat. Like, when you hear how long ago he won his first Pipeline Masters and then he does it again against Seth Muniz, and what a final it was. Slater with a 9 and a 9.77, so almost perfection. Uh, who are your greatest athletes of all time, Burko? Well, obviously, you, you go there. Well, you, well, Don Bradman, obviously, I didn't see Don Bradman play, but obviously, for what he's achieved in cricket, yeah. You know, the ones I really enjoyed was the things like the Michael Jordans. You know, actually go mm. out and you know, Shane Warren from another cricketer there who, who you actually pay money to go through the gate just to watch an individual. In a team sport, you go through to watch it, watch an individual play. As an AFL supporter, I'll pay money to go through and watch Dustin Martin play every day of the week because of, of the things they do. And the Gary thing, Ablett Sr. Gar- Gary Ablett Sr., perfect. Another perfect example. But you look there at Kelly. So for someone who actually transforms a sport and... It makes it watchable, and people who don't normally follow it, if Kelly Slater, there, Tiger Woods was another one with golf, where as a golfer, if Tiger Woods is in a tournament, I'll wake up in the morning and go check the scores. But if he's not playing the tournament, I don't, look, it's not the first thing I want to do, or, or go switch the telly on to, to watch him play. It's Muhammad just, Ali. Muhammad Ali. And yep. you know he fought an Aussie at the Olympics, in the final of the Olympics. I saw that the other night. Uh, uh, Pete, our technician, who's been watching grand finals since 69, uh, who's in the conversation for you, greatest of all time? Uh, Mark Eller, for me, is one. Like you say, Gary, y- you want to watch. You want to go to the game when Mark Eller's playing. Uh, and for... Saturdays on the coast, it's nice to have your company here on the program. Uh, Shelley Beach Golf Course, we'll get back there in just a moment. Uh, but, of course, they were talking about great players. Uh, so we look forward to getting back to the interview uh, with... Jess Grimwood in just a moment as well here on SEN Track. Uh, there's uh, plenty going on. But we're going to turn our attention quickly to the cricket. And last night was the first of the T20 games between Australia and Sri Lanka. And the Aussies looked down and out. They really did uh, against Sri Lanka. This is what happened uh, in their innings, in the final ball of the innings. And they managed to post a uh, decent enough total. Last ball. Hazelwood gets some bat on it, goes down the ground. Oh, Zampa was well and truly on his way. They've got to go to the strikers' end. They go to the non-strikers' end. That is the end of the section for Australia. They scramble their way to nine for 149, as predicted by Dougie Bollinger. That is a really good effort. 
in the field and at the bowling crease by the visitors. Everyone was anticipating a strong Australian performance. We didn't see it with the bat. No, indeed, we didn't. Jimmy Smith summing it up very well there on the commentary. Uh, but what we did see uh, was a good fight back with the ball from the Aussies. Uh, this is how the last ball in the Sri Lankan innings went down for the victory for Australia. Here we go, final delivery. 22 off one, famous scoreline here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And it's a nice Yorker, full of length delivery, pushed out into the onside. They'll just get through for the one run. Steve Smith does the fielding. The crowd gives it a cheer because they've done well to stay here right to the end. Well done, mm. Australia. Well done. In the end, a comfortable victory after posting what we thought was a less than competitive total, 150 to target for Sri Lanka. They've fallen short after a rain delay from their 19 overs. The target was 143, and they've fallen short. Eight for one, two, mm. two. Indeed, they did. Well, uh, we've still got uh, Jess Grimwood uh, with us. Got a couple of minutes till we've got to get to the news. Uh, but Jess, uh, tell us uh, what else has been going on in uh, terms of surfing. Well, Adam, doing well holding down the fort for the boys. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> heaps of been Heaps been going on in surfing. It's really kicked off again. Yep. Like There's just been so many events. There's been all the... Um, Brand new season qualifying series events kicking off as well. So we just had a 1,000 event in Phillip Island start for the men and the women in the Australasia region. So that kicked off about two days ago. So they're well into almost the quarterfinals now down there. Um, they're trying to rack up some points going towards the Challenger Series qualification later on in the year here in Australia. Um, of course, there was the pipe event taken out by the king or the goat, they call him, Kelly Slater. I really course, can't yes. see. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any other sportsman or woman that is as dominant as he's been. Like, if you look at mm. how far his his career spans across the decades, um, it was also taken out in the women's side by um, a Hawaiian, a local pipe wild card called Moana Wong. So that was kind of history making for the women's at pipe as well. She's going to get another uh, wild card into the Haleiwa Pro, which is at Sunset, which will be kicking off over the next few days as well. So there's just heaps of surfing. There's Nazare, the um, big wave tow comp that's been happening over in Portugal. Um, there's a few women surfing in that. French woman um, Justine Dupont has still been competing in that. So it's just literally like surfing action everywhere you look at the moment. I don't know if you've had a chance to catch up on much of the surfing ads. Uh, no, unfortunately I haven't. <laughs> but... Too, yeah, too busy it watching all like the cricket, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, right. There's just, there's just been so much, so much surfing going on. And we've got such a huge season coming up because I think Steve was talking about we've got, uh, we had Molly Picklam compete at her first championship tour event in Pipe. And she's um, on this on the tour this season. The She was given a spot. She missed out on qualification last season by one spot. And then one of the American girls that had qualified, she's a really young girl, she's about 15, she turned down her spot. So that gave Molly the opportunity to step up onto the tour. And uh, so she'll be competing, representing Australia and representing North Shelley on the um, world tour this season. Uh, along with, we've got so many Aussies like mm. India Robertson, we've got all the boys that have qualified, Jacko Baker from Nui, um, Liam Robson, um, yeah, Liam O'Brien, sorry, Callan Robson. It's just, yeah, it's just a huge year for Australian surfing for us again. It looks like we're coming back into our strides and our yes. glory days, like back in the Cooley Kid days. 
No worries, Jess. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. I've got to race to the news, but we appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully you'll be back on the program shortly. Beautiful. Thanks heaps, guys. Have a good day. Jess Grimwood there, talking all things surfing. We'll head to the news, and then we'll be back to Shelley Beach Golf Course, Steve Allen and Gary Birkinshaw following that. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast with Steve Allen and Michael Butner on SEN Track. Yeah, good morning. A beautiful day now at Shelley Beach. Uh, looks like some of these storm clouds have rolled inland and gorgeous and sunny overlooking the 18th. Hey, uh, last hour, uh, Adam started steering the ship uh someone literally can you believe someone has literally pulled the plug and adam it was your time to shine yeah boys so uh, you threw me in the deep end but i made it through well done and yeah. uh, it's great to have you guys back down there <laughs> yeah gary birkinshaw the guru is alongside us with butte away now guru you've got numerous notes there i know that you've got some notes on the super bowl on monday uh, what a day it's going to be in Los Angeles. The Rams up against Cincinnati. Now, I know you want to talk about it, but I will say this. I, I love the NFL American football, and I've watched it since I was a young boy in the 1980s. Saw the great teams. Saw Joe Montana. Saw Troy Aikman. Uh, you know, I love the Oilers as well back in those days because Warren Moon was their quarterback. You know, some of the great, great wide receivers, Jerry Rice. But... I don't claim to be the expert, and I think if someone's listening, uh, the text line 0477736736, open line number 1300 42 uh, My son Corey went to college at USC. I asked him, and he said he could probably recommend two or three of the boys that could talk the leg off a chair about the NFL. How about you? Yeah, look, I follow it a little bit, especially this time of year. Like, how can you not? The Super Bowl is one of the sporting events of the year, and it's a... Actually, it's on a wish list that I'd love to go and attend a Super Bowl. And we were talking before, I don't know whether we're on air or not, about the greatest sports people. And Tom Brady. Yeah, the story of Tom Brady where he goes, he couldn't make his high school side to actually go and, and what he run six, or six Super Bowl rings or whatever. But Monday, LA Rams hosting the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals, what a story they are. They've, uh, you know, two years ago they won, well, had two wins last year, they had four. They've won two semifinals on the road, and, and they're up against the Rams, who've literally thrown all in. They do not have a first-round draft pick again until 2024, so they're in it for the now. Uh, should be a fantastic game. And just on the on the NFL, there is actually a, a there is a Central Coast, uh, I suppose, involvement in college uh, football over there. A player by the name of Johnny Haggerty, a Kalani Vale AFL, one from your neck of the woods, Steve, who's a, who's a junior football through there, made all the representative teams, and he's actually been over there punting for. Uh, West Kentucky University. He's just finished his season there and he broke all the records as a punter and uh, some of his family are heading over to the draft. He's had some uh, NFL clubs uh, speaking positively about possibly drafting him at the, the upcoming draft. So that's exciting news for a, for a local in the, in the American football scene. And, uh, but look, really looking forward to the game. Love to see the Bengals win. Whether they can or not, who knows. Actually, the day that Sharon and I left Los Angeles, uh, we were on campus at USC, and there was a trial game between the Raiders and the Rams, and there were tens of thousands of people. You can't... Uh, I guess we don't get an indication. Like, we see the packed stadiums, but it is like religion over there, isn't it? And uh, one guy who understands this probably better than anyone is Lightning Luke King. Your younger brother, Luke, is uh, he's also on the pathway to playing at NFL American football. He's in the college system. 
just been uh, been listening to the conversation, thinking that we should uh, we should get young Blake King on the on the airwaves. Um, he's playing for for North Dakota for the Valley City Vikings, and uh, yeah, he plays in a in a corner back position, which is a defensive position. So, the Division Two college. Um, doing really well he's in his third year and we're super proud of him um as one of the king boys from the coast yeah i tell you i saw him the first time at the impact gym at erina and i saw this young guy not very tall uh you know probably five seven five eight and he was doing jumps uh probably oh my goodness you know maybe one meter 80 uh standing star yeah, so when I saw it, I was just gobsmacked at what he could do, and that was part of his training. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, it's a pretty athletic position he he plays, um, and he's really struggled sort of in the early days to, to go up against some of the kids that have been playing that position since they were, you know, five, six years old. Um, but he's really impressing the coaches over there with his work ethic um, and the way that he kind of builds himself up in the gym and all that stuff. Like, he just he ticks all the boxes for, for the team and the coaches love him. So uh, we're hoping to see him at um, TCU or one of the Division One colleges very soon. Yeah, the thing, Luke, Gary Birkinshaw here, mate. Um, college football, any college sport over there, especially the college football, it's actually probably bigger than, than the NFL. The number of people who go and attend and, and crowds like that, is that the same as Blake? Blake would no doubt have played in front of some big crowds? Yeah, he has, mate. Um, the, the big thing, and you're right, the, the big thing about it is that there seems to be like this real buy-in from what they call like the alumni of the, the colleges. So people who have gone on to become like big CEOs of, of American companies and whatnot actually tip back into the, the college and try and help to develop the, the players who are coming through there. So you've got like these, you know, years and or generations of people who have gone through these colleges that continue to support the place that they went to. So, and my mum has been over there with Blake and they've traveled around the States to a few combines and, uh, yeah, the college scene is huge in, in comparison to the NFL itself. Uh, Lightning, I'm just reading about the uh, quarterback from LA, and uh, you know, there's so many great stories in Super Bowl week. But Matthew Stafford, he spent so long in Detroit. He was the number one pick there, and uh, I think the first season he's there, they go 0 and 16, Burko. Yeah, that's exactly right, and uh, probably happy to get out of there. And he's um, he was one of the ones that. Yeah, we spoke about their first draft, next first round draft picks, not the 2024. So he's one of the ones that they actually they have invested in uh, in the Rams and to take him to the to the promised land. It actually, you said he was probably glad to get out of there, but just uh, reading one of the stories here online, and it says he grew up in Dallas, went to the University of Georgia, where he met his wife Kelly. Detroit became a special place for their family because all four daughters were born there. Then his wife had surgery to remove a brain tumor when he was in Detroit. He became involved in the community and participated in numerous charities and became a voice in that community. So uh, the article is about he's in L.A., the city's going to be pumping on Monday, but Detroit will be on his mind. Uh, Luke, let's move to motorsport, which is why you're on the show. Uh, I want to play the audio from the Formula One in Abu Dhabi. We'll do that soon. But first, uh, mate, why aren't you competing in Tasmania? Um, oh, a, a range of different reasons, mate. Um, as, as you know, the, the sport is, uh, is pretty tough off, off the track. Um, 
we we had a, a few sort of uh, hurdles to jump. Um, our major sponsor is um, is in their Chinese New Year at the moment, and we just couldn't get our approvals quick enough, basically. So the, the season started quite early. Um, the the telecast with TCR has gone to Stan Sport now, which is uh, an interesting change. Um, but I know that the, the TCR management are really keen to have us back on the grid. So uh, watch this space, mate. We'll, uh, we'll be jumping back in there probably from round two onwards. And uh, you might even see us in the World Touring Car Championship this year as well. Yeah, what's the update on that? Is there a chance that you'll compete against the world's best? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're at the moment we're working with um, some people in the UK who are trying to get us in as a wild card for the Spanish and Portugal rounds. Um, so we do them back to back. They're quite close to each other. Um, we've been having talks with the guys over at Audi Sport in in Belgium, um, and they've been pretty impressed with what we were able to do um, up against Chaz last year. So. Uh, yeah, mate, it's, it's all looking up. We wish we were down at Tassie. I'm actually helping a few of the boys on the data from home this weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm getting my tech head on, trying to help some friends out down there. But, um, yeah, we'll be back. All right. This is the uh, audio that surfaced this week. Uh, is it Michael Massey, Lightning Luke? Is that his name? Correct, mate. Yeah, he's, he's our Aussie guy. He's the race director of Formula One. Um, and he was the one that, well, he is still embroiled in this huge debacle between Mercedes and Red Bull. So go ahead and play that uh, audio, Steve, and we'll see what they've got to say. Yeah, well, I'll just tell the audience first. I, I jump onto Twitter, uh, as I do nearly every day, to see what's uh, trending in politics. But also, I saw Massey was trending. It had had about 50,000 tweets, and I thought, what is this? This is the audio of the finish of the race in Abu Dhabi. Back Marcus between you and Peter. And Lewis Hamilton is heading to an eighth championship of the world here, unless Max Verstappen can do something barely credible and he's just not going to be able no, to. This is a, no chance. Obviously, those lap cars, you don't need to let them go right the way around and catch up with the back. Understood. You don't need to let them Understood. Go. Just give us a second. And then we go on motor race on our hands. So we believe they may restart the race like this. All the cars ahead of you are going to pass Hamilton. Uh, everybody behind you will stay in position. Wow, it is explosive. Lightning Luke King, uh, champion in the TCR series. But did he say the words, let's make a race of this? Yeah, look, that, that was Red Bull's um, head team manager basically lobbying to Michael Massey to say, get the cars out of the way between Lewis and Max so that we can, we can have a race. And I think the, the thing at the, at the end of the race where you hear Toto Wolf complaining about the decision that was made to Michael Massey, and Massey then repeats that and says, Toto, we went motor racing. And that's his answer to why he did it, um, which is kind of repeating what the Red Bull guys have said to him. So it's, I think it's, it's pretty bad that we've... Imagine an NRL coach getting in the face of a referee right as he's about to make a call for, you know, the, the try that wins the game. Like, it's just, it shouldn't be happening in the sport. The, the guys that are up in the office making those tough decisions should be left alone to, to make those decisions with a cool head. And, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that it turned out the way that it did because there was just so much going on and not a lot of time for him to make a decision. Hey, Luke, you're like the Bruce McAvaney of motorsport. What else is happening? What are some of the Aussies doing around the world that you can fill us in on? 
Yeah, mate. Well, uh, we got we had young Caitlin Wood uh, over in the W Series last year overseas. Um, so I think we'll see her back again. The the W Series is the all female championship um, that supports the Formula One. So it's giving female drivers the opportunity to you know try and get an opportunity to to show themselves. And Caitlin, uh, I think she she took away a fourth last year in Belgium, uh, which was pretty impressive. So. I think she'll be uh, she'll be one of the main drivers in the championship this year, um, and then this weekend in terms of motorsport in Australia, we're down at Tasmania. Um, we've got the new Speed Series, which is um, all on Stan and, and across the Nine Network. So uh, you've got TCR, Trans Am, the Touring Car Masters, uh, and S Five Thousand down there. So um, there's a big shake up on the TCR grid. Will Brown is driving Chaz's car from last year. Uh, you've got Fabian Coulthard, who was the wooden spooner from Supercars, that's now coming into TCR, trying to rekindle his career. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of uh, headlines, and they're on track for qualifying today at two. Luke, back to Formula One. During the week, uh, McLaren signed, uh, won the, the, the bidding war, I suppose, for Lando Norris, to sign a $90 million contract. What does that mean long-term for Daniel Ricciardo? Yeah, that's an interesting one, mate. I, I actually got up at six this morning to watch the launch of the new McLaren F1 car. So both Danny Rick and Lando were there. And I, the first thing I noticed was that Lando's number was on the front nose of the show car. So I kind of feel like Lando's taking the, the number one position in that team. It, it might sound like a minuscule you know, detail for his number to be on that car, but... I just feel like Danny Rick kind of, this is a year he needs to really prove himself at McLaren. Um, and I think the rule change that's happening there um, has come at a good time because Daniel will be able to use his experience to adapt to the, to the new car and hopefully he can start to take that team in his own direction and set it up the way that he likes it. Yeah, beautiful job this morning, mate. Great to talk to you as always and we'll catch up soon. Lightning Luke King. Thank you, mate. Luke King, champion race car driver in the TCR series, uh, just phenomenal last year. He was running second for most of the year, and uh, apart from not going to Tassie, gearing up for a big 2022 season. Hey, really looking forward to discussing uh, the Winter Olympics with Steve Graham. He's coming up shortly, but next we'll talk about, wow, what a deal this is. So Ben Simmons goes to, goes to the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden goes the other way to Philly. That is massive. Basketball legend Ian Moose-Rebillia joining us next on Saturdays on the Coast. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Yeah, good morning. Uh, welcome back. And uh, We had some storm clouds earlier. They're out to sea or they've moved inland and we are just bathed in sunshine here at gorgeous Shelley Beach Golf Course. Uh, we're about to go to Ian Moose-Rebilliard. Uh, the, the guru, Gary Birkinshaw, you were just saying about coaching and you were talking about the college system. And I reckon it's a good way to bring in basketball legend Moose-Rebilliard as well on this conversation because you're talking about in the college system where coaches really kind of pave their way, don't they? And they, they coach hundreds and hundreds, thousands of games, and they're a coach for decades. 
Uh, continue the conversation, Guru. Yeah, look, I just read through the week. One of the, one of the Major League Baseball teams, you look through the coaching staff they had there, and the head coach might have been involved for 50 years, you know, right down to the, the bullpen coach. He's been involved in 25 years. And, you know, they, they might have had you know, half a dozen coaches involved, but they've all had 20 years or more experience in, the, in, you know, in coaching or you know, playing in, in that, that field. Well, I remember Paul Rue saying in the Australian system is that as coach, we're the only prof- AFL is the only professional, one of the only professional leagues in the world that has to employ development coaches because we've got players on our list who, who aren't ready to play first grade football. But in America, you've got the college system that gets them ready for professional football, and, and that's because the, the coaches at college level, they're experienced coaches. Well, at, at our NRL AFL, our development coaches are probably the first year in their in their system. While well, in America, they go through high school, they go through you know, senior high school, then they go college before they get into into the professional football. So they well-qualified coaches and well experienced more than anything else. Well, let's go to our legendary player and coach, Ian Moose, Rebilliard OAM. What are, you, what are your thoughts about what Gary just had to say? Yeah, well, hi, Gary. G'day, Steve. Appreciate the call. Yeah, look, it's, um, not only are they there for a long time in, in the systems, but there's an ongoing commitment to education and training. And uh, that, that is something we probably don't do as well in Australia because of the depth of uh, the number of coaches we have. So it's not unusual for coaches in, in that system to be, you know, there for a long time, but very, very current with uh, new trends and, and keeping ahead of the game. So, um, yeah, it's a system we probably envy a little bit and hence why there's a bit of a, uh, a trail of uh, Australian athletes heading to the, the US college system. Hey, uh, one of the reasons you're on this morning is this trade. The news broke yesterday. I think social media went into meltdown. Simmons to the Nets. Harden goes the other way. And uh, just reading a little further into this, uh, I mean, the Kyrie Irving factor and that he's an anti-vaxxer, that plays into this scenario as well. But first, what are your thoughts about Simmons finally leaving Philly? Well, I, I think it's probably a, a relief. I mean, I, I, I'm sure Dad Dave would have breathed a very big sigh of relief. Who's a great guy, and you know, obviously wants the best for his son. But I think the the system he's going into, he's supported by one of our best. So Patty Mills has already come out and has been in contact with with uh, Simmons throughout this whole process. And for him to actually land in Brooklyn, I think we should rename it, Steve. It's the the Brooklyn Boomers because we're going to claim <laughs> Kyrie as well. He was born in Melbourne, so I think it's a good system for him to be in. And I think Steve Nash, he's, I think he's coming out of a 10-game losing streak, so the pressure was on him. So hence that may have uh, influenced the quickness of that trade or the finalisation of that trade. But I think Simmons will find himself under some very good care there, and leading that charge is, uh, is Paddy Mills. Yeah, Moose, realistically, given that Ben Simmons has played no basketball of, of any significance I suppose for a number of months how realistically how soon could he play yeah well while he may not have played any games he he would have been uh, fine-tuning his game in the gym and in training courts uh, so he will have lost match fitness but you know the, the thing is he's going to have to learn the the Brooklyn system uh, both offensively and defensively I think they would be keen to get him into games as soon as practical so, you know, it'll, it'll be an interesting scenario to watch, but I, I would say within a fortnight, he'd be playing some significant minutes. So the Nets traded Harden and also Paul Millsap. What are your thoughts about the trade going the other way? Uh, you know, Harden, a former MVP. 
Yeah, well, I guess what the 76ers were looking for was was a scorer. Um, obviously, Brooklyn didn't need that. Not not when you've got you know you've got Irving, you've got Durant, although he's coming off an injury. But the Sixers needed some extra firepower offensively, and Doc Rivers uh, is very well known for this. So hard, and obviously a former MVP and a like he's just an amazing scorer, even though he too was coming off an injury. Um, I think that's probably, again, worked in uh, Simmons's favour uh, because Brooklyn didn't need a scorer and Harden obviously was and sharing the ball around Durant, Irving, you know, good players that want to get the, their shots up. Um, he's going over to help, you know, Joel Embiid, who's a dead set scorer, and Harris, he's a scorer, but you really need that third punch and I think that's what uh, Rivers was looking for at, uh, at Philly. Actually, speaking of scoring, Paddy Mills is going to the three-point championship on the All-Star weekend. So, I mean, he's been deadly from outside this year, hasn't he? Well, he has. And, I mean, you know, his performance at Tokyo was, I think, really stamped himself, really, as not just a, a great player, but his leadership, his uh, willingness to put team before individual performance Gelled, gelled the boomers exceptionally well, well supported obviously by the other senior players, probably Ingalls especially. But I think, you know, he's he's just a quality player, Steve. He's got that Australian attribute that we've spoken about. He does put team first. He brings teams together. And sometimes that secondary too, he's just an outstanding player and absolutely a deadly marksman from outside as being shown this year. Hey, I noticed that uh, Josh Giddy will also be at that guru in a skills challenge. Yeah, he's also playing in the rookies in the in the rookie contest as well. So, look, what a fantastic start to his career that he's had. I think he was drafted at number six. I think he was drafted at and playing for the OKC, who Oklahoma City, who aren't uh, doing that well as a team, but they're just a young team just developing. And I, I think that he's exceeded everyone's expectations. Moose, would you agree with that? I'd agree with that. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, Gary, you should just do basketball, mate. Give this AFL gig <laughs> a bit of a. <laughs> but Giddy, like again, you know, and I played against his dad, Warwick, who's a great guy. He was actually a rugby player as well. Um, that team mentality, player, an important role in your team. You know, take what that opportunity provides. So to see Giddy where he is, I, I think he's probably surprised. <laughs> a lot of people and uh, as you said okay you know Oklahoma City they're, they're at the moment they're okay that's the, the true part of their acronym at the moment but give them time as they develop and, and they you know they're putting time into the young players and you know all credit to them for that because you can't just walk out of a you know a training program as an 18 year old expect to make the impact that he has so you know congratulations to him. Well, Moose, uh, I think what you're seeing, mate, is like I'm looking at the extensive notes that the guru Gary Birkinshaw has made. What it says is that Michael Buten is under enormous pressure to retain his spot at the top of the order. <laughs> well, you just don't give you don't give people a break. You know, you don't give them that opportunity, that sniff, to yeah. <laughs> to lose your to lose your place. But Buten is under enormous pressure. Yeah. Hey, uh, Moose, uh, what else? It's been a while since you've been on the show. Uh, what else is making news? And is there something happen happening at the Academy of Sport that we should know about? Yeah, look, we, you know, uh, we've, we've remained really busy. We've, we've launched a beach volleyball program. We're still chasing extras in that program. We've launched our netball program under the tutelage of Jess Morgan. Our regional academy network had a fantastic um, 
conference this week. And uh, Gary, you'd know Mark McEwen. Uh, he was the guest presenter that came up talking about teamwork and uh, how you can uh, increase efficiency through performance. So we had a really, really important uh, two days just uh, trying to get better in, in our work. So uh, he was a, a real, really good quality speaker. He's from Melbourne, and uh, I think he's a life member at Collingwood, uh, if, I, if I recall that correctly. So, yeah, we were very, very fortunate to, to enjoy some uh, often, you know, neglected professional development and training ourselves. So there's a lot going on, and uh, looking forward to what lies ahead in the next month or two as we prepare for the Academy Games in Wagga. We'll have 1,200 athletes heading down there um, early April. So a lot on, Steve. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Uh, great to have you back on the show. All the best to the family, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Steve. All the best to you, Gary, and, uh, and good luck, Buttes. <laughs> Keep the pressure on. <laughs> yeah, he's on shaky ground. No one can replace Buttes. Don't worry about that. Uh, this is Saturdays on the Coast. We're off to the news. Back in a few moments' time, we'll talk some Winter Olympics Steve Hot Dog Graham is next on Saturdays on the Coast. BJ Howes Metal Land, the Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast on SEN Track. Welcome back. Hope you're enjoying the weekend so far. A little bit of four seasons in one day at the moment. Storm clouds rolling in again. Here goes a, an old guy who's just teed off on the first. Looked like a nice drive, too. A little bit downwind here at Shelley Beach Golf Course. Uh, Guru, you got a couple of shout-outs. Yeah, look, uh, you put a nice little post up on the, on Facebook there. And don't forget to, to follow that as well, SEN uh, Track Central Coast. And uh, Michael Smith, one of the legends at the Killarney Vale uh, uh, Football Club, he's there with, with Jimmy Newburn also. But a couple from Killarney Vale also today is that, not only Killarney Vale, but there's a number of, of female footballers who are out there today about to commence uh, what they call a an AFLW summer series involving uh, two, two teams from the Swans and two teams for the Giants. They play each other over over a month of senior football. So we've got Emily Crooks and, and Taylor Kenobi, who, who Taylor, they believe, is a big chance of, of going and playing at, at the national level. And it hold, holds great significance. Taylor Kenobi? Yep. Is yep. her nickname OB1? Could be. Sounds, that's a good one, yeah. Um, <laughs> Why it holds, it holds greater significance um, this year is with, with the, the Swans joining the AFLW next year and the the region that we're in is that uh, um, is obviously in the Swans area. So good performances this this next over the next month, sorry, is actually gives you a great opportunity to, uh, to to get an opportunity for a contract. And you really threw me there with that Kenobi one, mate. That was yeah. that was good. Yeah. Um, Pete just asked a very good question off the air. Pete, our technician, why were the Swans not involved from day one? Uh, well, my actually opinion of that is the Swans are very very smart business people. So. So rather than, than, than go in and, and not be prepared, they allow other clubs, I suppose, a certain degree to do the heavy lifting and then they find out what works and what doesn't work so that when they come in, which they've got a licence for next year, they, they wanted actually, in saying that, they did want a licence earlier than, than, than next year, but they've given one for next year. So, so the Swans will come in and they will come in wanting to do really well right from the start. So they're not going to, to go in just to make up, up the numbers. So smart business practices, no doubt about that. They mentioned they had ground issues and, and <coughs> things like that, but, but they'll be ready to go next year when they come in, along with the other three sides. So next year, a fully-fledged competition. Yeah, your, your team in action later on today. Uh, Richmond, the Tigers, up against North Melbourne in the AFLW. That's followed by Melbourne up against GWS at 4.10 and Frio versus Carlton at 6.10 tonight. Yeah, look, uh, I follow a bit of the, the Richmond. They really suffer with some injuries. They, they aren't 
performing as well as what they can, but injuries are certainly hurting. And actually, to be perfectly honest, Steve, injuries are actually really hurting the competition full stop. There's been a number of their key players across the competition have gone down, unfortunately, with knee injuries, ACL injuries. It's been yeah, really now that's, prevalent. That's been ongoing since yeah. the start of the competition. Yeah, so that's, and that's really hurting the competition. They can't... While you're still in your infancy, you can't afford to lose your, your very best players. And unfortunately, it's the very best players that, that are going down with, with the knee injury. So um, it's, it's a tough battle for AFLW at the moment. They're playing in, in, you know, in January, February, up against tennis, cricket, all that. But they're also playing in the middle of the day. COVID's definitely hurt them. Brisbane Lions have got to come up now. Play, I think they've got to play three games in, 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 the, in about a week. Very, very tough on not full, fully professionals. We've got to remember these women are not fully professionals. They're part-time professional. They've got to take time off work, family. Um, some of them are still working. So it's really, really tough. And it's something that, that the AFL are probably going to need to address at some stage. They're talking about you know, maybe the season kicking off you know, after the more around September, playing during the finals where the, the, the <coughs> AFL men, they can actually play their finals at night. The women play during the day, during September, don't play grand final day, and then they're playing through October, November, more so than trying to play in the, in the middle of summer. Yeah, Adelaide on top of the table, undefeated, five wins so far alongside Frio, who've dropped one game. They're both on 20 points. GWS, that game crucial this afternoon because Melbourne currently third, uh, GWS in eighth place on the AFLW ladder. Uh, Burko, we're going to take a break and then come to Steve Graham, but is it correct that there's seven local cricket teams still in contention for the finals? Yep, two rounds of, uh, of the first grade competition to go, two two-day matches, and seven teams are still in, in with a chance of, uh, of making the finals. You'd think King Cumber are, are sitting on top to that, probably nearly sure of a final spot. Last weekend, big weekend for the for the entrance club. I think we wrote them off a couple of weeks ago. But hey, you uh, wrote them off. Sorry, I wrote them off a couple of weeks ago. But as it was, they managed to get on last week. And full credit to them, they were able to get their ground up up and ready to play. And wet weather, you know, and they wet weather forced other games not to be able to be played. So they've jumped up into third position. So you know they're coming home with a late run. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what about the women's? Yeah, look, women's a good five teams fight. A realistic chance of making the finals with uh, only four spots available. Uh, probably. One of the Lizard, Lizard, Rimba White, Northern Power, Orange, and Wyong Gold. They're the ones that are probably fighting out for the two spots. I think Lizard, Rimba Black, uh, they're in second spot. Terrible match undefeated at the top. So they should be should make the finals with four rounds to go. But, you know, some exciting cricket to come up. I tell you, if you analyse 2022 so far, in my opinion, you've had Ash Barty win the Australian Open for the first time in four decades, an yep. Australian woman. Absolutely massive. Nadal comes back to win in five against Medvedev. Kelly Slater wins at Pipeline around about three decades after the first time he's ever won and just shy of his 50th birthday. And now you can add Jakara Anthony winning the Moguls in a few moments. And she just dominated, absolutely dominated. In fact, I've got thoughts around that. I feel like it could almost be like diving where their points accrue because if anything went wrong on that final run, she was the most dominant competitor I've ever seen in an event in the moguls and if something went slightly wrong she wouldn't have got the gold we'll discuss that further in a moment with steve graham off to a break it's saturdays on the coast on sen bj howes metal land the coast's tradies choice for tools steel gas visit bjhowes.com.au you're listening to saturdays on the coast on sen track Final segment of the morning, live from Shelley Beach. Uh, Buttes is away up on the mid-north coast for Oztag and the guru, Gary Birkinshaw, is alongside us. How have you enjoyed it, mate? Oh, I love it, mate. Beautiful setting here at uh, 
Shelley Beach Golf Club. Love talking sport. Heck, you got really, really great guests and, uh, you know, spending a Saturday morning talking sport for a couple of hours, nothing beats that. Yeah, it doesn't get much better. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors, of course, BJ Howes. We love those guys. Uh, also, Robson Civil Projects, legendary Central Coast business uh, for over... Uh, for over five decades. Uh, Whitey's Right Price Tyres, who've been great supporters of the show as well. Uh, thanks to everyone for being a part of it. Uh, just a shout-out, Bob Peters uh, gave us a like on the Facebook page. Uh, the best voiceover guy in Australia, Bob Peters, the dulcet tones, and great to have him listening. Massive South Sydney fan as well. Let's get straight to our final guest. Uh, we like to call him the hot dog, Steve Graham. Good morning, mate. Welcome back to the show. Steve, go Gary. How you doing, boys? Yeah, we're well. Uh, this time last week, we were gearing up for uh, Club Ra, uh, the big celebration at your place. Hundreds were there. Uh, the beers were flowing and the big screen. We were watching all of the Aussies in action in the Moguls. Uh, mate, can you reflect on what that night was like for yourself, Deb, and the entire Graham family? Oh, Steve, it was uh, the very wet Club Ra. I spent, I spent the morning out there with the turf rollers fixing up the outfield. And um, trying to get it ready for the next big bash, but um, <laughs> but it's all coming good. Look, it was a great day. We had a great, fantastic crowd. We had Jindabyne Brewing up from Jindabyne itself with a couple of kegs of their finest, and um, mate, everybody had a great night regardless of the results. Mate, it was yeah. just a fantastic night. And then we backed it up the next night with Sunday, and how good was Sunday with Chikara Anthony bringing home the goal? Wow. Yeah, just, just incredible. What about Matty? Uh, I know he's home now. He flew back in on Wednesday, and uh, the broken collarbone, he just couldn't find his mojo in Beijing. How is he? And uh, what were yeah. your thoughts watching his run? Yeah, look, he's good. He's um, got home Wednesday. We were down there at the airport, picked him up, and um, a lot of hugs, not many tears. That all came out on Saturday night. But... Um, Look, he's fine. The collarbone was was good enough for him to ski. I think the problem was just not enough time on snow from from the middle of December through till competition night last Saturday. It was just too much to ask. I think in that sport, right. you've got to stay on snow. Everybody talks about visualising and and all the mind games and everything else, but that's a that's a discipline that you really need to keep skiing to do Look, well. I, I, and he didn't have that opportunity. I, I think our audience have become. Yeah, massive Moguls fans because of Matty, and we saw the greatest, Mikhail Kingsbury, beaten. Can you tell us more about that? And also the other Aussies, including one in the Super Final. Yeah, little little um, little Cooper Woods, mate. He's a 21-year-old from down the south coast there. Um, been in the team for a number of years now, like under Matty. I guess Matthew was under Dalbeck Smith uh, in an era gone by as well. So it's not quite passing the baton yet. Um, Matty will pick himself up, dust himself off, and... Cooper will have to wait a bit longer before he takes the crown from Matthew. But, um, hey, Mikhail, you know, he's 30 in May. He's nearing the, probably nearing the end of his career. He, um, we said earlier in the year on one of these shows that he's probably not as dominant as he used to be. And some of the young guns are catching all of them. Look at Walter Wahlberg from Sweden, 19. Um, come out, laid down a super fast run and um, brought home the gold medal for Sweden. And I think the only difference was the speed. Mick was just a bit slow. Hey, let's talk about Chikara Anthony because, like I said going into the break, I don't think I've seen a more dominant performance. And it made me think that if there was any slight mishap on that final run, suddenly she doesn't win gold. And I want to change the entire sport. I feel like maybe it... I, I, look, I know it's riveting to watch, 
but I feel like it almost should be like uh, like diving where your points accrue because she was the most deserved gold medal winner that I've seen in moguls. Yeah, you probably a lot of people think that, Steve, but um, and and like and a different sort of scoring system like the half pipe last night with Scotty James and the rest of the crew out there. They have the best of three runs, uh, the best one counts. Um, but accrual of points is just not the way it is, mate. You've got to execute the number of runs. Maybe the number of runs was too many because on World Cup there's only the qualifier, top 16, and then the medal shootout with the top six. But to have three finals and two qualifiers, um, that's sort of pushing the envelope a bit because the course changes every time um, to different track. You can't compare one run to the next. Um, so look, you know the rules. Rules are rules. Rules get changed from time to time. They get reviewed. But um, at the moment, you know you've, you've got to put it down on the night. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. And then you see the result of all the tears. Yeah, and Steve. Moguls. Steve, one thing Garrett, I loved. Yeah, one thing Garrett I loved at your place. The other night. One thing I loved at your place last week was the camaraderie between all of the mogul families and all of the Winter Olympics families. And you know. We definitely saw everyone celebrate everybody else's achievements, including, uh, I mean, you told me last Saturday night, Jakara Anthony will win gold. So it was just such a special moment. You mentioned about the half pipe. Uh, is that the greatest event you have ever seen, particularly score-wise, with a 96 and a 91? Steve, it's up there. Um, Scotty put down a run with some, with some manoeuvres that he hasn't done before. So there was some new stuff that... that um, he, we, we know that he can do them because he's trained them and rehearsed them and practiced them, but in competition he hasn't pulled some of those big, big twisting manoeuvres out um, in a competition. And to do it in an Olympic Games, you know, you're putting everything on the line. Um, but that's what you've got to do. And the young Japanese guy, you know, really, he's, he's going to be around for a long time. He's still pretty young, you know, two silvers and a gold. You know, that guy's, they, you know, they talk about Sean White being the goat, mate, this young kid from Japan. And he's only a midget, eh? He stands there on the dais beside Scotty James, who really, at six foot two, probably is too big to be a, a really good snowboarder. So that's even more of a challenge for Scotty with his just sheer size. But, um, mate, it, it was it was phenomenal. And and look, it rated its head off. It should have. It deserved to. It's a huge event around the world, thanks to X Games and the like. And Scotty's been there, and Sean White's been there, and mate, they're, they're just legends in the sport. You know, it just goes to prove if you do the yards you, and the miles, you get the results. Yeah, the guru has got the next question, but when I watch that, it's one of the most amazing things I've seen humankind ever do. And uh, I watch it, and I also feel like you could die doing that sport. The where they fall from, like, oh, I tell you, their courage to actually take off, like that triple flip. They were saying yesterday that we've never seen it in competition and then we see it three times. Uh, just amazing. And you can imagine the next Winter Games, every single athlete will be trying to do that because the bar's been raised. Guru. Yeah. Well, little 16-year-old Valentino, you know, he's got the record for the height at 7.2 metres. That's above the coping. Now, can you imagine if you get it wrong and you hit the, you hit the lip of the pipe coming down from 7.2 metres? That's just, that's just going to snap you in half. That's... that's that's wheelchair stuff. So these guys really put it on the line. Yeah. And uh, Steve, Tess Cody got us on the board with a bronze medal in the women's snowboard. That was, that was excellent to watch also. Yeah, Tess done a fantastic job. You know, that was that was probably one that we weren't expecting um, as Australian medals, but she really pulled out the big guns, PBs, 
um, in that event. Some of the other competitors couldn't couldn't match it. She was up early. She just got better and better and better as that snowboard slope style progressed. So, mate, that is a real Cinderella story for Tess. But, hey, guys, tonight, you know, we've got um, Jackie Narakot leading the skeleton after two rounds, with two rounds to go. How incredible Jackie is that? going to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and skeleton. we were just discussing. Head, head first. We, we still remember uh, Paul Narricott, you know, being the champion sprinter that uh, ran at the Commonwealth Games, also the World Championships, decided not to go to Moscow. And then you scroll down on his Wikipedia and you see that he actually competed in the Winter Olympic Games in Albertville in France in the bobsleigh, the two-man bobsleigh. Burko? Yeah, look, uh, look, a fantastic job that he actually did there. And uh, you just watch it, Jackie Narricott, just on the skeleton. Like, she won a World Cup event uh, a month ago. No one had heard of her, really, till, till then. Well, I hadn't heard of her. You know that you did, Steve. But, <laughs> but just to have seen Australian up at the top of the leaderboard in the skeleton, you know, it's unbelievable, really. Yeah, and Steve, we've got one minute, so make it quick. Where, where's the nearest skeleton course in, or sliding course in Australia? <laughs> it's, the other, it's half a world away. So that's a super credit. Hey, we've got uh, two teams in the um, mixed snowboard uh, snowboard cross tonight. Um, so they've granted Australia a second team there. We've got the girls, uh, Danielle Scott and um, Laura Peel coming out in a night or two in the women's aerial. So, look, we've still got heaps of medals that Australia could go. We've got three already. So um, a gold, silver and a bronze. There's plenty more on offer. So, like, anyone that's not tuned in over the next couple of nights on 7 and 7 Plus really needs to... Needs, obviously doesn't like sports. So um, I know all your listeners will be there, Steve and Gary. So, guys, it's going to be huge tonight, tomorrow night. It's going to keep going into next week. And then to bring it all home, we've got Sammy Kennedy Sim in the uh, ski across towards the middle of next week. And then all our athletes will probably come home. Yeah, great stuff, Steve. And, and, awesome and to talk to you. And... And I still want that uh, new event, the two-man luge with myself and Buttes flying down the course in four years' time. Uh, thanks for listening this morning. Thanks to Pete, our technician. Thanks to Adam back at HQ. We'll catch you next week, Saturdays on the Coast on SEN.